0: Thanks to LinkedIn for supporting Market Foolery. LinkedIn jobs makes it easy to get matched with quality candidates who make the most sense for your role. Post a job today at linkedincom and get $50 off your first job post. It's Tuesday, April 16th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Matt Greer, and joining me in studio, we have Motley Fool analysts Jason Moser and Emily Flippin. Welcome. Addie.
1: Hey, good morning. How
0: are we feeling? You look great. Okay. Well, Walmart fashion is something we're going to talk about. And we're also going to talk about the um, future of Hulu, which Jason, I know you're a big fan of Hulu. Yeah. Things just got a little more interesting there. But we begin with Johnson and Johnson shares up around two percent today on stronger than expected quarterly earnings. More than half of J and J's revenue coming from prescription drug sales. Emily, prescription drug sales up by more than 4%.
1: Yeah, it's an exciting day for J&J. And I think a lot of investors and consumers really only know Johnson & Johnson for maybe like Motrin, Tylenol, Neutrogena. But this is an increasingly small part of what Johnson & Johnson is doing. And I think they're realizing that a lot of their growth is going to start coming from their prescription drug sales. So, it's interesting, because for the most part, Johnson & Johnson has always kind of been this consumer products company in the minds of of consumers, at least. But increasingly so, they're seeing that worldwide, the growth opportunity is is in pharmaceutical sales, and they've had great experience getting into that so far. Despite the fact that there's increasing competition from generics, and that's not just in the U.S. but across the world. So it'll be interesting to see how they're able to compete as as some of these patents let up, and then we see generics start to flood the market.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, I think we were talking a lot about um, Johnson and Johnson toward the end of last year. I mean, when that whole talcum powder Crisis uh, really erupted. I mean, yeah, well, and it was a legitimate crisis. I mean, anytime you have a a product that, I mean, we talk about childhood and things that you remember throughout your life, and and Johnson and Johnson's baby powder is kind of like just one of those staples of 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 your household. It seems like, Um, and then you you find that perhaps this product has cancer causing uh components which that's obviously not good um and, and to your point I, I mean it is a consumer it is a consumer products company for for most people I think that's how most people at least, Recognize Johnson and Johnson, and so uh, to see them diversifying the business, uh, becoming more of a pharmaceuticals company, I think is great. One thing that I'm I'm kind of fascinated by. I was I've been doing a lot of research into this augmented reality um, space and, and trying hold, to find. Hold on, we're talking Johnson,
0: Johnson <laughs> I know, and Johnson, and you that, just used the phrase augmented reality. It seems very odd
2: to say, and I, was, powder, I had Jason, to. Baby baby powder. I, I did a double take initially when I found this, uh, but. But I think it's important for investors to know that I mean this is the type of company that Johnson and Johnson is becoming. I mean it is more than just uh, pharmaceuticals and talcum powder. I mean they have a robotic surgery and medical device division. Uh, this is part of the business called Ethicon, and they are acquiring more uh, like robotic surgery companies. in I think whenever we say robotic surgery, immediately people think of Intuitive Surgical. I mean that's the one company that everybody recognizes. We We've recommended it here in our foolish universe, and investors have won hugely from it. But but Johnson Johnson is pursuing more in that space as well, and so I think that you're you're going to find as time goes on, they will diversify their business away from just these pharmaceuticals, even, into becoming more than just like, talking about powder, And I think that's why, at the end of last year, we were talking about that could be a very good time to actually buy the stock. Uh, when that headline first hit, because obviously the stock tanked, uh, it is looking like that probably was a pretty good time to buy the stock. Um, so, time will tell, obviously,
0: but it seems like they're at least forward-thinking. Well, let me ask you about that. Because the company is so diversified, sounds like becoming even more diversified. But when you look at the stock, it's lost to the market over the last one, three, and five-year periods. Now, if you go back 20 years or so, it has beaten the market. But when I look at a company like Johnson & Johnson, my question immediately goes to, am I better off just buying an index fund? Because this company is so diversified. So, for the long-term, better off with J&J or an index fund.
1: I'm a huge believer in index funds. Um, and I actually think when I look at Johnson & Johnson and use the phrase such a diversified company, and that's not to say that it's not diversified, but still, 50% of its revenues coming from pharmaceuticals in an area that's increasingly competitive and hard to compete in, that to me says, oh, there's a lot of dependencies there. And then another quarter of that coming from consumer products, which has been steadily declining, also slightly concerned. Um, so, I mean, personally, I would pick an index fund hands down over just buying Johnson and Johnson at this point.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. Like, I, I own shares of an index fund. I don't own shares of Johnson and Johnson. That and says a lot. Yeah, well, I'm pretty sure that the index fund actually owns Johnson and Johnson <laughs> as well. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that. I mean, it, it seems like you would want to own this company. I mean, you you talk about we talk about the name. It seems like all the time. It's it's something that's it's, it's existed for all of our lives. But, um, I. Yeah, I mean, when you look at the actual track record, I mean, that is there. I mean, you can't really get around that. So perhaps there are good times to buy the stock when a crisis hits, uh, but you got to kind of time that. And I don't know that I'm really in the business of doing that. So I think I'm, I think I'm going to agree with Emily there. I'd probably just go with an index fund and relieve myself of any worry.
0: Okay, well let's talk some Hulu, AT&T unloading its 9.5% stake in Hulu back to Hulu for around 1.4 billion dollars that values Hulu somewhere in the neighborhood of 15 billion. Now Jason, I need you to untangle the <laughs> knot that is Hulu. So here goes, you ready? Yeah. Disney currently has around a 60% stake in Hulu, Comcast, NBC Universal, 30% stake, and this is where it gets interesting. Hulu currently includes some Comcast-owned networks like NBC and Universal and some AT&T-owned networks like TBS and TNT. And, oh, yeah, we have the whole Disney Plus streaming service coming (laughs) out in November. So, where does all this leave Hulu?
2: It is a very tangled mess. Um, But I simplify it in, in that, I think, ultimately, at the end of the day, Disney will own Hulu outright. And and I think that I mean we're only seeing that play out, right? I mean they used to own a little bit of it. Now they own more of it, and they have and a control going to own even more of it. Exactly. Um, as a Hulu subscriber, I don't know that Hulu was really ever that compelling of a product until they actually came out with the live offering, and that. Honestly, was when we first started subscribing to Hulu. And, and, and what does and that so include? So that that essentially is it is it's basically cable. Um, I mean, for those of you who have cable, I mean, you you get all of those channels and you watch probably a fraction of them. But that's ultimately what Hulu Live is. I mean, it's a whittled down version. It's a condensed version. It's it's really the channels that most people watch the most of. Um, but they essentially have taken that cable idea of bundling. And just made the bundle a bit more relevant, and you know, for people who like sports, for people who like news, uh, for people who want to watch TV where live matters, that is a very compelling offering because it does still completely separate you from the cable company, and that's a nice thing to be to be separated from, like having uh no cable box is, is really a special thing. I, I'm not going to lie, Mac. So, I, I like it.
0: So along those lines, when we've been talking about Disney Plus, which will launch in November. A lot of people obviously make the comparison to Netflix and they ask is it going to be a Netflix killer? How that's how is that going to shake out? Yeah. I, but it, but if you combine Disney Plus with some Hulu type <laughs> offering and ESPN, then maybe we're asking the wrong question, right? Maybe Disney is really trying to win the
2: whole living room. Now, I think maybe if we have a spot on the investing team, Mac probably needs to join because you are asking the right question there. The whole narrative of like, "Oh, is this a Netflix killer?" is just killing me. Like that's a Jason killer. And, and, and in mean, why like, is that? Like, well, I mean, listen, this whole over-the-top movement. I mean, streaming is the way people get their content. Right now, it's not the exception; it's the norm. And Netflix helped drive. Us there, they they got us there, and so regardless of what we may be getting as far as like Hulu Plus and Disney Plus and ESPN uh, Cubed, I mean anybody anybody's guess, right? But I think at the end of the day, Netflix is always going to be one of those subscriptions that people just want to have in their home. It's cheap, it's easy, and that's the thing is like people are familiar with it. They have developed. A brand identity is like you can go there and find something. I mean, I don't think the content is all that great, personally, but hey, we're subscribers still, so I don't think it's a Netflix killer. I think really the traditional cable relationship is now
1: probably on its way out. Well, this conversation is killing me a little bit because (laughs) we're sitting here talking about how how great streaming services are. We're not going to mention the fact that AT&T is selling their stake and for what. Do you know what they're going to do with the proceeds? Did you see? Use it to pay down debt. Oh, nice! How tragic it must be. <laughs> Why is that? To be that doesn't AT&T. excite you.
0: That seems fiscally responsible. <laughs> I mean, they're taking
1: investment from something that is. I mean, well, I don't think anybody is going to say Hulu maybe is as compelling as Netflix or Disney Plus, but it's still a growing area. Arguably, an area where you're going to get better returns. And whatever you're paying on your debt right now, you're going to sell it off and then pay down your debt. I mean, what is AT and T thinking?
2: What is the I mean, I feel like I I, I'm gonna have to look this up right now because I don't know actual AT and T debt load. I've got to imagine it's pretty I mean, big.
1: But this is not the way to service it, right? If you're if you're selling off valuable assets for the purposes of serving your debt, that to me says a lot more about the status of AT&T right now than it does Hulu. But but yeah, let me, I mean, let me
0: take the flip side of that though. If if Hulu is going to change, let's say a year from now, 2 years from now, it doesn't have some of this AT&T owned content, it doesn't have some of this NBC owned content, then AT&T, this is the time to get out of your Hulu stake.
1: I guess so, but if you're AT&T, what are you going to do? I mean, do you think they really have anything that is as valuable alone as it was combined with a service like Hulu?
2: Well I mean I, I I think that I mean like Emily may think I'm disagreeing with her I actually totally agree with her on this like to service their debt load from this sale is uh, the the analogy of like the thimble in the ocean I mean like it, it is virtually meaningless because just looking it up now on CapIQ their total debt stands at around 180 billion dollars okay so, just, just so I mean, yeah this this is this is going to be utterly meaningless I mean it, it really it just gets them out of something that is not going to matter to them any which way you look at it and so, with Verizon, with AT&T, these are wireless businesses at the end of the day, right? These are not cable companies anymore. Their cable companies, their cable divisions are eroding. So, they're now figuring out ways to, to distribute the content that they do have ownership of. Uh, they were never going to get full ownership of Hulu. So, it never mattered to begin with. Disney is a far better company. Disney, this, this is Disney's forte, right? They own all of this content. ATT, I think, just recognized that to continue investing, In Hulu was just going to be basically writing a check out to Disney on a (laughs) quarterly basis and not getting anything for it. Uh, So, so yeah, I mean, I, I don't, yeah, I don't begrudge them for doing it, uh, but what are they going to do with that money? I. Paying down the
0: debt, it's not nothing going to matter whatsoever. Nothing that's going to return maybe, any. Value. Maybe they can, you know, help Apple out because I, I just get this growing sense that Apple's streaming service. Well, I feel like okay, what?
1: if AT and T is coming to Apple's help here, I think Apple has <laughs> has bigger concerns. Well, have you
0: you seen Bob
2: Iger's comments on Apple's streaming business? Oh. I mean, ultimately, Iger, what he's on Apple's board, right? Yeah. And so ask, you know, he's he's asked questions about Apple's streaming service. I mean he essentially just said, hey, it's it's immaterial. It's like not even a part of their business. Yeah. And and I mean Apple really, I bet you right now, Tim Cook covets that Disney oh. content move, right? Hulu, ESPN plus, Disney Plus. I mean, Tim Cook is probably looking right now and thinking, I wonder how big of a check he, he, he could write. To just buy Disney outright. Because,
0: well, that was the talk a few years ago, yeah, right?
2: Well, I mean, he probably should have should have been uh, talking about doing it then. Iger's, Iger's on his way out, right? I mean, he's finally actually committed. I think 2020 is that it?
1: I'm not. I'm not <laughs> holding my breath.
2: You don't think? Maybe I don't know, but uh, obviously that check would have to be a lot bigger now. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: Maybe if you're Tim Cook, you go to Iger and you're like, "Hey, I noticed AT and T just sold a nine and a half percent stake in Hulu. How about if we buy that nine and a half percent?" That well, you know, but that, yeah, that just,
2: yeah, just it just seems to be it makes the problem worse. I think ultimately just. <laughs> taints a relationship that seems to seems to be working all right, okay. at least if you're a Disney okay, Well,
0: We will keep an eye on it, and we will try to avoid using the term Netflix killer. Please, please do. OK. Well, before we get to our next story, I want to say thanks to LinkedIn. Now, Jason, I know you've been involved uh, in some of our hiring here at The Motley Fool, and a lot of that hiring comes from LinkedIn. I
2: absolutely used it myself in scouring through all of our applicants.
0: Well, after all, that makes sense, because you want to find the best person for the job and odds are that that person is on LinkedIn. Now, LinkedIn Jobs makes it easy to get matched with quality candidates who make the most sense for your role. People come to LinkedIn every day to learn and advance their careers. So LinkedIn understands what they're interested in and looking for. That means when you use LinkedIn Jobs to hire someone, your matches are based on so much more than a resume. It's not just a resume. Sure, your matches are based on skills and background, but they're also based on interest, activities, and passions, that is awesome. And customers rate LinkedIn number one in delivering quality job opportunities. Post a job today at linkedin.com/fool and get fifty dollars off your first job post. That's linkedin.com/fool. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, our final story here: Walmart getting into the subscription box for apparel game. On Tuesday, Walmart announcing a partnership with KidBox. The new Walmart KidBox Style Box will offer four to five fashion items for around $48, which is around 50% off the suggested retail price for that group of bundled items. So, Emily, this strikes me as sort of a Stitch Fix for
1: kids. In a lot of ways, it's competing with Stitch Fix for the same audience here, except for its priced at an arguably lower price point. The business model is a bit different, though. So, you either pay $48 and keep all of the box, which contains four to five items, and comes once a season. Really, So, it's aimed at maybe like back-to-school season or holiday seasons, um, or you don't take anything and you get a full refund of your $48. So, the business models are different, but it's still buying into this idea of using a box service to buy clothes. And it's interesting because Walmart, for a long time now, has been trying to build out a strong apparel presence. And they've been losing to, to companies like Target, for instance, which did an amazing job, not only bringing different brands in, but Building out their in house brands. So, Walmart's definitely trying to do this, trying to go a little bit more upscale with their retail clothing. My only concern is we have seen companies come into the box service and just continue to fail. I mean, you think Nordstrom, a trunk club, they've been losing money on trunk club for a long time now. We saw Gap try to do a kid and babies box service, and then 14 months later, Pull out. Even Stitch Fix is struggling in this space, and they're they're much more than just kids boxes. But Walmart has scale, and you know they're bringing out for a trial run. We'll see how well Kid Box does. But I do think that it's it's not supposed to be value within itself. I think that it's supposed to be value in the sense of Walmart building out a stronger apparel presence, and this is just one of the many facets.
0: And you mentioned all those different companies trying and failing or struggling, at least. Why is that? I mean, what what is it about this idea that has not quite taken?
1: There are, uh, I have many theories. One of my largest theories is that it's it's more expensive than shopping. and A lot of people who are willing to pay more for their clothes like to have the experience of picking out and trying on the clothes themselves. When they go with the box service, maybe they're not getting exactly what they want. I think there's a subset of people who are willing to continue to pay for them. But for the most part, I expect that they're one-off purchases that people subscribe to for a short period of time, and then cancel over the long-term when they realize that, hey, I'm just paying. X number of dollars a month to get very little value added. A box like KidBox is not that same model. It's an opt-in rather than an opt-out. So It'll be interesting to see how many people who shop at Walmart are willing to pay $50 for a box of four or five items when they could probably go to Walmart shelves themselves and buy those clothes cheaper.
2: Yeah, I mean, we talk a lot about uh, from an investor's perspective, fashion is fleeting, right? That's what makes these investments so difficult. Investing in just like pure play fashion companies, Um, they're hot, and that's great. But when they're not, boy, are they not? And it's tough to get it back. Um, So I think for Walmart, this is a pretty easy bet to make, right? I mean, if if it totally fails. It's not going to affect their business whatsoever. If it succeeds, well, it'll affect their business probably a little bit. It'll be good, but I mean, it's not going to be anything that makes or breaks the company
0: either which way. So, a little bet. Yeah, well, a little
2: bit. You know, I mean, we we kind of
0: have fun with that. A kid-sized bet. A (laughs) kid-sized bet. Okay, well, Jason, you just mentioned that fashion is fleeting. I think truer words were never (laughs) spoken. Um, And so, along those lines, I want to ask both of you all about some fleeting fashion. When you look back on your early years, when you look back on your time as a kid and what you wore as a kid, does anything stand out?
1: I I had some quality blunder years when I was a kid. Um, I was a little bit of a rebel. I didn't like to uh, wear what other kids were wearing, and so I protested jeans. For a very long time, and I wore instead uh, these mid-rise gaucho pants back when gaucho was really in style. And occasionally, think about getting back into it. I mean, they were comfortable. Now I've I've unfortunately given in to the (laughs) jean craves. Uh, But gauchos, man, they need to come back.
0: Mid-rise gaucho. Oh yeah, you know they went out to my
1: my shin. As a statement. (laughs) Oh yeah, my parents were embarrassed to go out with me. You know, it was flipped around in our family.
2: Jason I yeah I mean like I've played golf all my life so I mean I've been probably like just a walking fashion nightmare by virtue of that alone um you know I see pictures of of like when I was a, a little kid like you know two three years old so I'm not like trying to throw this completely on my parents but I saw like these pictures of me in like this it's it's like this it's this sun outfit like it's it's nice it's it's, it's this weird sort of is it is it a dress or is it a onesie? Is it like I can't figure out exactly what it is? It sounds comfortable. It, I will say that. Well, <laughs> I <It> mean, <sounds like, laughs> it
1: sounds like something your parents probably got in a kid box. Probably.
2: I mean, made it made their. I'm sure it made their day a lot easier. Just say, just throw them in this, and like you know, we don't have to worry about anything. And and I look at these pictures today, and I'm thinking, man, what the hell were they thinking? Like that is pure make fun of Jason material right <laughs> yeah, there. Yeah. And I think I actually have a picture. Uh, that I'll, I'll be happy to tweet out in, in reference to this, so that people can make fun That's of me. Commitment, because I, I, yeah, do. this I like was that. this was like one of those things where you're like, oh my god, I, I I didn't make that choice. I don't think I would have made that choice if I was given the option. But man, oh man, what I just you know what were they thinking? You're not getting that in Kid Box, no. 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 And yeah. if you are then
0: Kidbot's really isn't. Oh
1: yeah, that's how we'll determined the value of this to Walmart. <laughs> well, for
0: me, I had this combination and I can't blame my parents for this cuz I picked this out, but I had green tough skins that I would wear with like a green silk shirt that had this like scene of the Amazon and I would tuck it in real tight <laughs> and I had like a leather belt with like a liberty bell huge belt buckle. And um, this will shock you, but looking back, I don't think it worked. No, <laughs> I, don't think, I, th- I just don't
2: think. But look at where you are today. Yeah. Well, I know. mean, you
0: are working here, yeah. lovely wife, two kids. I mean, really, it all worked out. But I'm still a bit of a. I'm still fashion challenged. <laughs> I think it's fair to say. Okay, so the desert island question: If you're on a desert island for the next five years, you got nothing going on, so you have to basically buy one of these stocks because you really got nothing going on, and you have to own it for the next five years. We got J and J. Let's say AT&T, Disney, Comcast, Walmart. Let's throw all those in the mix. What do we like?
1: I'm going to go a little bit out of the box here. I'm going to say Walmart. I think there's a lot of potential for for Walmart. It has amazing staying power. I would say Disney, but I think we've been hitting people over the head with Disney a little too much recently. So I'm going to go with Walmart and remind people that this is a really well-run company. They're doing a lot to build out their mobile presence, their their delivery presence, their pickup presence. I mean, in retail, obviously apparel is is a big part of that value proposition. So I think Walmart is it's run smartly, and I think it's going to be here for the long term.
2: Yeah, I'm going to go completely against what I said earlier and, and go with Johnson and Johnson. But I mean, this this is this is the desert island question, right? I like it. I like it. Uh, I mean, I guess my logic here is that healthcare is something that is always going to be needed. I mean, whether it's consumer facing, pharmaceuticals, robotic surgery, I mean, you, you do have to admire the market itself, and it does seem like they are forward thinking in, in the investments that they're making. So maybe I'll give J and shot. Well, Jason,
0: Emily, thanks for joining me. Thanks. Market Foolery will be back on Monday. We're taking a few days off here. The market is closed on Friday for Good Friday. But if you get a chance, check out some of our other Motley Fool podcast at podcast.fool.com. We've got Rule Breaker Investing with David Gardner. We've got Motley Fool Answers with Motley Fool retirement expert Robert Brocamp and Allison Southwick. We've got a little show called Industry Focus. A guy named Jason Moser hosts I host that sometimes. One of them. Yeah, him. Yeah, tell me about that one. What 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 am I getting there?
2: Well, I mean, the nice thing about Industry Focus is that we're focusing on industries, and really, yeah. that's what it's all about. It's it's about getting the industry and putting the focus in the industry. My it. mind
1: is blown. <laughs> yeah, I know.
2: Uh, it's a lot of fun, I must say. I mean, Monday is is the financial show. Uh, Tuesday, consumer goods. Wednesday, healthcare. Thursday, energy. Friday. Tech. So you're getting a little bit of a lot of good stuff week in and week out. And it sounds very focused. It is. It is. We, we've got a lot of focus.
0: Okay. And we've, of course, got our weekly flagship podcast, Motley Fool Money. So please check those out podcast.fool.com. As always, people on the show may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Matt Greer. Thanks for listening, and we will see you on Monday.